This is a podcast about failure. With me, Lola Berry, author, nutritionist, and yoga teacher. Join me as we get to know these guests and learn about how their failures have ultimately shaped their dreams. Welcome to Fearlessly Failing with Lola Berry. Hello and happy Monday. Today's guest, Kim Courageous, is the Artistic Director of 16th Street Actors Studio in Melbourne. So that's where I did my acting training. And in this episode, you will hear Kim's passion, not only for people to kind of like hone and work on their acting craft, but Kim is all about human connection and passion. She rubs shoulders with the greats. I remember in the time that I studied there, she brought Russell Brand in to come and teach. We learned from Cody Fern. Of course, Ian Sinclair as head of acting. It's such an amazing melting pot of all things phenomenal, not just for acting, but for, I just think, human experience. I think you'll hear Kim's passion just jump out at you from this podcast. I really hope you enjoy it. P.S. Got to give them a shout out because 16th Street is currently taking enrollments for the part-time course. So that's the exact same course that I did. I'm going to pop a link in the show notes for you. Big love, Kim. I miss I miss 16th Street so much. It is such a wonderful place for actors and I think any human. Kim Courageous. This is a total honour and I feel like you and I have been talking about this for such a long time, the pod. Okay, so you are, I would st- i would say you are an actor, teacher. You are the creative art director of 16th Street and fa- one of the founders, is that correct? I'm a founder and the official title is artistic director. Oh, I love it. And I would actually say I'm not an actor. I was once an actor, but no longer. So it's interesting that you actually said that. Why did you say that? Because I, when I researched you and went on YouTube, I was watching a trailer to Mouth to Mouth, right. of Mouth to Mouth, should I say, and were you 19 years in that? I was 19 years old when I did that and that was a film that had um, – It was an incredible opportunity for me to do that film because at the time the Australian film industry was doing a lot of period pieces. It was the 70s. It was the renaissance of the Australian film industry and this was an urban drama about street kids. Yeah. And I played one of them and that uh, film really gave me a lot of opportunity. Can I say Little Stunner? Oh, (laughs) you know. Totally. Yeah, but isn't that the tragedy? When you're young, my mother used to say that to me, you know, when I'd be looking at myself in the mirror and I'd say, oh, my God, my legs, and she'd say, darling, this is as good as it gets. (laughs) Enjoy your young legs while you have them. And it's so funny. I now look back at photographs and I see, because it's not like I'm even looking at myself, but I look and I say, what a beautiful young woman. And, of course, at the time you don't see yourself. Totally. In that way. But totally. Okay, so the reason why I said actor as well is because you have been such, and I messaged you yesterday, you've been so much fun to research and I get to, I've seen that you've studied all over the world Mm -hmm. and your acting credits are pretty impressive, especially like within Australia, like all the iconic Aussie shows you've got credits on. I was very blessed. It was a very different time, but my generation of actors, you know, 
we were lucky. We, re- we really worked. Yeah. And so, you know, if you got a job and if you did well, that would lead to something. So I had that experience of being a working actor in this country and then going overseas. And when I came back um, after training overseas, uh, something had really shifted for me. I kept working as an actress, but it was the craft and it was the desire to be a part of that in a much deeper way for younger people who were just beginning their journey. So I became a teacher. Is it true that you did an interview at like probably around that 19-ish age and you were like, yeah, I think I want to be a teacher? Yeah, well, it was funny. Um, when my mother passed away, for some reason, the scrapbook that she kept of me was passed mm. on to my aunt. And then when my aunt was cleaning out her garage not that long ago, my cousin found the scrapbook and he gave it to me. And it was very touching. It was all of these yellowing kind of articles of me. And there's one, I'm 19 years of age, getting ready to jump on a plane and go to the UK to study Mm. after receiving a Churchill Fellowship. And it basically says, I want to learn about the craft because I want to teach. Well, it was really unusual for me to look back and say, my God, did I actually say that at 19? So there was something inside of me that already I think knew there's something about the teaching vocation mm. that really spoke to me. And my career was going very well. I'd been nominated for an AFI award. Yes. So it wasn't like I was on the decline. Yeah. I was on the kind of rise and I was still thinking about teaching um, at such a young age. So I think there's something in that karmically totally. about what we're kind of meant to do with our lives. And you're the queen of manifesting amazing things. I, so I feel like you started then. Well, I've been very <laughs> blessed. I, I've I've never been afraid to think big and dream mm. big. I'm not afraid of no. So I figure why not throw your hat in the ring yeah. because you might get a yes and if you get a no, that's not so bad. Yeah. You just go through another door. Oh, I'm so excited to talk. I actually want to talk to you about rejection a little bit, mm. just as an um, as someone that's just signed with an acting agent. You're doing all these self-tapes and you hear crickets. You hear no response if you yeah. don't get the job. And so you're forced to kind of like quickly process rejection yes. and be on to the next thing straight away. Yes. Um, but before we talk about rejection, mm. um, I guess I want to know because 16th Street was founded in 2009, is that right? I think it was 2009. I'm not so good with numbers. I heard Nicole sure. Kidman say that the other day, but I'm actually not so good with numbers. But I think it was 2009 and it was born out of I'd been teaching acting and I just felt I wanted yeah. to create a much more intensive environment which had community and a real sense of ethos, philosophy, ethic Mm. and for me the magic word technique yes so yeah it was an idea at 2009 and then it took a while to come I think it actually the idea must have been before 2009 then it took a while to come to fruition and it did in 2009 with our first full-time program how exciting is that I've watched a few interviews with graduates from that first program yeah and they're like you literally have a buffet of technique to choose from which is quite rare and be able to go oh hang on this feels right for me I'm gonna take this for people listening that aren't actors it's not just learning lines you've got different forms of techniques and different ways to do the work and show up and give your best self on the day and I feel like as a student of 16th street I feel like you get this plethora of options when it comes to learning different techniques and you're exposed to so many different techniques. Was that a passion of yours to have so much exposure to so many different acting techniques? I think I had a voracious appetite as a young person. (laughs) 
Yes. So I never sat still. I didn't just kind of go, well, now I'm done and dusted. It was the next and the next mm. and I just wanted to learn. So I was exposed to some of the greatest teachers of my generation mm. and they all approached it from a different vantage point. Some of them were fundamentalist, but I never was. Mm. I don't believe in fundamentalism in anything. I believe in diversity. I believe that all roads can lead you to a very, very similar place which is the ultimate essence of what it means to be an actor, to inhabit a character very fully and to bring a story to life mm. that is actually something that can touch the hearts and souls of human beings. So there are a lot of ways to get to that vantage point. Oh, I love that. You're getting me so excited. I'm getting such FOMO not being at 16th, although we are physically at 16th Street right yeah. now. I'm getting FOMO of not being a student here right now, but you know me, I'll be back. Well, it's lovely to see you, I have to say. Oh, it's so nice. Oh, really? I, I read this, um, your wonderful friend, Deborah Lee Finesse, said this about you and I was like, oh, hit the nail on the head. Kim is relentless in her pursuit of bringing the best of the best teachers to 16th Street. She is absolutely passionate about each and every individual, teaching, reaching their full potential as an artist and as a human being. And that's what I love about what you've offered here because we were doing meditation classes before we would even hit the floor. It's funny. I was speaking to Deb yesterday um, uh, and we were talking. I think I've always wanted to know what lies beyond the surface of life. I remember this is just something just kind of is touching to me. I remember walking down the stairs when I was a child and my mother, um, who had a challenging relationship with my stepfather, and she'd be sitting in the kitchen and she was a 1950s mother and she was sitting there and she'd be crying. And as a child, I used to say, I would say, Mum, why are you crying? And my mother would say, I'm not crying, darling, and try and pull it together, you know, being an adult and being a mother, not mm. wanting her child to see her upset. But I knew there was a lot always going on behind the surface of life and I wanted to understand that. Mm. So potential to me is stuff that lies beyond the surface. Mm. And it's often in the realm of the difficult, the painful, the off-limits, mm. and what Carl Jung used to refer to as the shadow. Mm. So potential to me, it would be great if we could just all live in the squeaky clean of life and into the kind of the light, but actually for me coming to the light is always going through the dark and it's a very difficult journey to do and it is the hero's journey mm. and it takes everything you've got but I figure I'm not so sure that you're living your life very fully if you're not prepared to take that journey. And I think that's the journey of an artist. Yeah. I think it's the journey of a human being. Mm. So the best and potential doesn't mean that's a walk in the park, but I think the people I've known who aspire to that are always some of, for me, the often the most brave and courageous and insightful and wise individuals. I rem it's reminding me of one of the first classes I did with you as a student and you were like, stop it, Lola, you're an entertainer, I can feel it, and you said, speak your fears out loud and I just had to pace around the space. And I was like, oh, I'm letting people see the darker side of myself and then you feel very vulnerable but after you do open yourself up like that in a safe space, which is what you've created here, uh, you almost you leave with this almost like dopamine like, oh, I feel I feel really good that I was so real. And I feel like you're creating a space where it's safe to 
yeah, really uncover the human condition in a bid to connect to human hearts if they're in the audience. Do you know what I mean? I do, I do. And, you know, I think about this because I'm so completely immersed in my own journey of what it means to be more fully human. But I think we live in this way, which is really, it's profoundly deluded and it actually just makes us feel lonely and separated. Of course we have fear, Mm. but somehow we believe we're the only one that we've got a monopoly on the market of that. Yeah. (laughs) Everybody does. And so when somebody just opens up and says, I'm afraid or I'm, you know, I know what jealousy is or I know what loneliness is Mm. or I know what it feels like to be rejected, I know what it feels like not to belong, it doesn't alienate others. It makes others go, you too? Yeah. That's my experience of life. And yet it's weird and I think it's because we are so profoundly egocentric. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) We think we're the only ones that have this and we want to just present to the world all the good bits. Yeah. But it's actually through the painful bits. Yeah. That really somehow our hearts open up and they crack open Mm. and all the stuff of love and kindness and compassion is there beyond that facade that, and often that's brittle and it's terribly limited in its dimension. Yeah. But in anyone that's listening to this that isn't an actor, you can take that on for life. Oh, yeah, you, you know, know? I, I think that the training of actors and, you know, I, I remember a great acting teacher said if everybody could do an acting course, yeah, everybody could do it to get closer to what Susan Batson, who's a great acting teacher, mm. and Nicole Kidman's acting coach, and Juliette Binoche's acting coach, and she said if we could all live connected to our unmet need, and we all have unmet needs because we're human and we were mm. raised by humans. Mm. So if everybody could get connected to that and not be ashamed of it and not feel like we had to kind of hide it from the world uh, and not have so much front up. Mm. And often that front, it's fine to have a facade. We all have one and we all have a persona, but it's not the totality. And not to feel that the other stuff is somehow the shameful bits. It's not the shameful bits. It's the human bits of what it means to be alive. Of course it is. But we've got this kind of, I call it the kind of, crispy dry bit yeah the bit that's all kind of polished off yeah. and that's what how I show up but yeah my, I, I'd much prefer to sit down and talk to somebody and discuss their fear of death yeah than I would be about what their latest social media post was I know you totally know? that's why I was so excited to get you on because I knew you would talk to the heart and I, I knew that about you. I know you're totally heart driven this is a really career kind of question um in the time that I've been doing short courses, the part-time course here, uh, which you've got intake going for right now as well, which is yeah, really exciting. Yeah, we do. We have auditions at the moment for our next uh, part-time program, which commences in July. Awesome. So do it, guys. That's what now. I've done. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> um, but in that time, you've got you've always run these kind of like masterclasses and workshop classes. And I I remember when I literally signed up, you had Cody Fern come over from America, Russell Brand, like Larry Moss. I mean, and even you were saying your lovely friend Deb, we did a online during COVID, a class with her. Hugh Jackman was like, hey guys, at the end of the Zoom call. <laughs> and I was like, what how do you do this? Are you just so willing to um, just be like, ask someone, hey, you know, I've, I want you to come and chat. Like, Russell Brandt, that's that's mega. I think uh, the first thing that co- tends to happen with me is I look for inspiration wherever mm. I can find it. 
I'm very blessed. I have people in my life who are real masters at what they do and they inspire me Mm. and they're mentors. So that's the first thing. And then I just go like a little sniffer dog. (laughs) And I just go tracking like with Larry, that relationship has now been with us, I think, for over 10 years. I went and saw Larry teach. Mm. I followed him around. Mm. I wanted to see was he the real deal? And he certainly was from his book. Then he was when he showed up as a teacher, but he also is as a human being mm. and as a mentor. So I, I think, uh, who is it? Yeah, it was Leonardo DiCaprio that said, Larry Moss is way more than an acting coach. He's a life coach. Yeah. So there's something about that. I'm very interested in people who walk the talk. I'm very interested in integration. I know how hard it is. It's a bit of a buzzword at the moment, authenticity. It's not easy to be authentic. Yeah. It's not easy mm. to be authentic. And so when I see people who've tread that particular pathway and have found something that to me really when I'm in their presence I go I can feel something there's really something here that's been integrated into them they're not just words they're speaking that is something I want to be a part of and I want to expose other people to oh I love it Oh, I love it. I could talk to you all day. I know I'm not going to cover everything that I want to. One thing I want to talk about is my experience at 16th Street Um, because I thought I was a very driven person before I walked through these doors. I was like I built my own businesses, failures, successes, like some work, some didn't. I was very comfortable with like just working hard to get the result that I needed. And I walked in these doors and I was like, oh, my goodness, I do not, like, this is a discipline that, like, none other. And uh, auditing the Cody Fern class last Mm. January, he, like, snapped me straight out. I'm like, I I went from sitting in my seat not knowing what to expect to, like, being, I couldn't leave, like, every day. I was was, glued to what he was saying. And I think that you two teach, I see similarities in being a student of you both now, um, seeing that, yeah, just the ethos, but the work ethic. And I remember my first class with you, you said, you pretend you're training for the Olympics. This is your Olympics and do the work. Like that's kind of like, I feel like that's the mantra stuck on the walls as you walk down the corridors. How, how much can you say is about doing the work, like really showing up? I think, um, first of all, I think it's it's challenging, isn't it? to really dig deep inside of yourself. And maybe some people don't need need to dig that deep. I needed to live with depth. And so for me to discover what did I really want? What is it that if somebody said to me, in a month's time, your life's over, how would I spend the next month of my life? And to be honest, it takes incredible courage But unless you are living your life's purpose now and doing that every day of your life, I would suggest you're going to have regrets when you die. And that to me would be tragic. Mm. So if you know it has meaning for you, work doesn't feel like a chore. It doesn't mean it doesn't take everything you've got. It doesn't mean that there won't be times where like a pianist, you have to practice the scales and sometimes that can be tedious. But if you're driven to do it for a reason, it doesn't feel like hard labor. It feels like just something that you have to do because you're doing it ultimately for some very important life's purpose. So discovering what that is and then making sure that your life, all of the things that you do are like vertebra that literally hang on the same spine. And then if you go, no, that isn't really connected. 
you can let it go and then just make your life, and I like the idea that you make your life a masterpiece. Mm. So why not live that way and consequently why not develop in, into an artist mm. who is going to have that at the core of their being and the thing that drives them. So it is about the work but it's about I don't see the work as separate to who I am. I want to live an artistic life. I want to live a life of curiosity. I want to live a life of discovery. And I want to do what Larry Moss says, to earn my death. And that sounds morbid, but it's not. Mm. It means that you don't have regrets. Mm. You say, I lived fully. Mm. I lived um, with meaning and with purpose. And I went out a more evolved human being than I came into this world as. You know? Oh, I sh- I love this. I feel like I'm the one I should be taking notes, but I'll re listen back to it and take more notes. I did a little cheeky thing. Yeah. <laughs> and I asked one of my classmates, Stella, and I said, Can you, if you could define Kim in three words, what would they be? Are you ready? Go for it. <laughs> Tenacious, passionate, and dedicated. How cool is that? Tenacious, dedicated. What is tenacious? I am. Passionate. I am. Very. Very, very. I am. And dedicated. Yes, and the dedication continues to grow. Mm. I don't think I had to, I think I kind of slipped out of the womb with tenacity and with passion. I do. Mm. I really do. No, definitely. And and how, you you know, that's just the luck of the draw. And I don't necessarily believe in luck, to be perfectly honest. I think there's something more at play than luck, but for want of a better word. Uh, But dedication and that where I, I think it's easy to be dedicated when you know it has meaning. Yeah. When you really know what has meaning. Can we talk rejection now? Because yes, yeah, like my I, favorite word. Yeah. Those two, rejection and acceptance, mm. and they're the flip side of the coin, aren't they? Totally. Yeah. But as an actor, like as a, I think creatives, and this might be a huge generalization, but we're quite sensitive. Very. I think all human beings are, to be perfectly yeah. honest. You look at little babies. You can't go, well, they're the babies that are going to become the actors and they're the babies that are going to become the plumbers. They're all sensitive. Mm. But I think that just actors, perhaps the sensitivity is more to the surface of the skin. Yeah, hard on the sleeve. I think so. So like I was saying, you can do all these, you know, you get a call or you get an email at 3 p.m. in the afternoon and they're like, all right, here's the script, deliver it by 10 a.m. tomorrow morning. So Mm -hmm. that's where that beautiful discipline comes into play and nothing else matters. You wipe the rest of your day and you're learning those lines and and then, you know, you send it off at 10 a.m. the next day and you hear nothing. If Mm -hmm. you don't get it, you will literally hear nothing and that's the actor's life for sometimes years or like months on end, what advice would you give to someone that is facing that rejection? Because I imagine like a lot of my friends, because I've got friends that work in America, a lot of them have come back to Australia, yes, for opportunity, but also they're like they've given up as well beforehand um, pre-COVID. Yeah. And I think that rejection can sometimes get a little bit confronting. You know, the first thing I'm going to say, just in case there's anybody listening from the other side, which might be from the producing side, I think it's discourteous Mm. when people don't touch base with an actor. Mm. It's just fundamentally discourteous. Now, I'm being very, very um, opinionated when I say this and I'm being forthright in this. It doesn't take much to just send an email, thank you for your tape, unfortunately you were unsuccessful this time around. Now, okay, I know that actors might like to hear more than that, but I truly think that is a habit. 
we all need to come together in ways that are mutually beneficial and in ways that respect each other more. So that's the first thing I'm going to say in case any producers listening. (laughs) Now, just in case they don't shift and change, actors still have to deal with something. When you go in to do the self-tape or you go in to put something down, it's your attitude when you go in to do it. And Elkino Salamidos, who is one of the founding members of 16th Street Actors Studio, he's a really excellent film director. In fact, he's in the next studio working with the part-timers currently. He said, see every opportunity that you get, whether it's an audition, a self-tape, the job itself, to go for these 10 minutes, for this hour, for this day, I get to show up and practice my craft and be an actor. So see it that way as opposed to, will this get me the job? Mm. Let that one go because whether you get the job or not is so contingent upon so many factors that you literally have no control Mm. over. You have no control over whether or not you look like the leading lady, whether you look like the leading man, whether or not the director thinks you remind him of a school friend he went to. You have no control Mm. over anything too young, too old, too small, too tall, too whatever. But what you do have control over is I will make this an opportunity to get better at my craft. Mm. That I will do. So I think then getting very reflective about how you showed up, use the opportunity as well to show that piece of work that you've done or your test to somebody you trust. If you've got a good agent, show it to the agent, get them to give you feedback because there'll also be other reasons maybe why you're not getting the job and it could be in your work, it could be in your craft. So you want to separate the two. No, there's so much out of your control, but there is stuff within your control. So maybe you keep making choices where the character's a victim and those victim choices, they're not very appealing choices to make and a lot of actors go in and make victim-like choices, whereas, you know, you want to make choices where the human being is up against all the odds and is going to make empowering choices because when you want something, you don't live in the problem. You do stuff to actually be able to get what it is you want. And to be honest, when we go to the cinema or the theatre, we don't want to see a whole lot of lemons on the stage or on the screen (laughs) that are reflecting back at us exactly how stuck we are. We want to see people come up with ways of doing things that give us hope that maybe we can do the same. So it might be in the choices you're making. It might be because you've got some, honestly, truly, stuff like just facial tics that are really unappealing to watch on Mm. screen. A lot of tension in your face and Mm. people can't watch that. So there are so many reasons and you want to start to discern. So I would suggest get a good acting coach, someone you trust, or someone who has, you know, got some skill in this area, like a mentor who can go, who can be just keep tracking your work for you. So if you don't get feedback, you get it from somewhere that's going to be beneficial. So you keep working at your craft and then recognise that there are things out of your control. Absolutely. Just out of your control. And I feel like it's like a muscle that you kind of, like every time I do a self-tape, yep. I'm like, ah, oh, I'm just getting fitter at self-taping. Yep. That's the way I look at it. Yeah. But you want to make sure, I just want to say this, it's really interesting. Mm. There are some people who are just, they can bounce back. That resilience is terrific. But you want to make sure when you're bouncing back, you're also bringing alongside of you some insight 
into the situation. So you're developing both these muscles, not just like Teflon. Yeah. Not growing and learning so that you're building the right muscle. Mm. It's like going to a gym, right? You can keep doing something, but you're not doing it well. Yeah, totally. Right? So you got to know I'm in the ballpark. I'm getting better in this area. And each of these tests are giving me the opportunity, the self-test that you do. Yeah. For a lot of people, they won't know what a self-test is. It's basically you, you get or, you get a job, um, a possibility to audition for someone. And in this world that we're living in, they say, okay, record yourself on camera. Yeah. Then send it in to us. And what happens, a lot of people who are, you know, just new to the profession may not know or people that aren't a part of this, it's this rugged. you got people who look and within 30 seconds they either like what they see or they don't and mm. if they don't, goodbye. Yeah. They fast forward you or they go no. So there are so many things that actors who spend that whole day, they give up their lives for 24 hours to put this down and what they don't know is that sometimes those people are looking 25 seconds and mm. then they're, they're off it. So it's knowing how do I absolutely get someone's f- attention immediately. And there are absolute techniques to testing well. There are techniques to mm. testing well. So it's just like kind of, you know, if you're a runner and you kind of just, you know, the gun goes off, there are techniques. Mm. How you take that first, you know, moment off the blocks so these are things we need to learn. Even little things like I did an audition last week on American accent yeah. and so I, my agents were like, do your slate on accent as well. So your slate's where you say your name, your age and whatnot so that there's no, because they were casting for an American TV show, don't oh, give them a, a chance to find the fault in your dialect. 100%. You know, little, little hacks almost, you know, little magic tricks. Absolutely. I mean, you know, Nicole Kidman now speaks with her own accent. It's a little coloured now by having lived in the United States for a long time. Yeah. But when she went to the United States, she never broke accent. Yeah. Well, Cody said, I asked him about dialect stuff in our course and he said, if I need to be on accent and my call time is 8am, I'll get up at 5am, yeah. I'll vocally warm up on accent and I will stay on accent for the entire shoot. And we've just spoken about Cody Fern, but some people may not know Cody Fern. Um, Cody Fern is a young Australian actor. Um, I first met him when he was really, really young and he worked with Academy Award winning Ellen Burstyn, who we brought to Australia, and there was just something in this young guy. I knew it's something that you can't deny. It wasn't just a talent and a wonderful charisma. There was a drive. Mm. It's a drive. It's just when you see that kind of drive, you know it and... You need to have that drive. It's something that you are burning to do and you want to get very good at it. And Cody then uh, worked um, alongside Ryan Murphy in... Uh, Assassination of Gianni Versace. Gianni Versace, the American, American Horror Story. Please watch these guys because you know, he's incredible. He's wonderful. And for an Australian actor or any actor to work alongside Jessica Lange, Sarah Paulson, mm. Kathy Bates, I mean, that's, you know, that's not kind of like, you know, chop liver here. Yeah. He's working with great A game. And, um, you know, I can testify to Tony, uh, to Cody doing that because I rang him the other day and it was seven o'clock LA time or whatever time it was, I can't remember. And he was totally in accent. He said, I, I've got a, a test later today, which he ended up getting. He's going to be acting. I don't think this is confidential. Oh, no. shit. He's is acting it? opposite Mark Wahlberg <gasps> in a film. Oh, I got goosebumps. I've actually got here because <clears throat> I, I think I've told you a few times, uh, there's a few teachers that have really kind of, I've, it's, it sounds dramatic to say changed my life, but obviously Ian Sinclair, who's a, who's been on this podcast before and one of the 
is the wonderful. head of, Australia, of uh, acting at 16 yeah. Street. Yeah, and, and just a beautiful way of nurturing actors. There's something so... I agree with you. You know, I think about what Ian does and it's something very expansive. He's connected to a whole lot of disciplines outside of acting and great actors are. They're voracious readers. They research. They would never, ever bring a character to life and just keep that character out of context. They root them in a time and a place yeah. with a socioeconomic understanding. What was the music that was being played at the yeah. time? You know, people like those actors that you love. Oh. That's the work they do. And Ian, I think, as as does Cody, inspires people. Oh, yeah. In that Ian, area. I recently worked on Ian. Oh, you saw it. Tennessee Williams' Cat on a Hot Tin Roof. I did. That was my last night before yes. I had to fly out. And I walked up to him after and I said, oh, my goodness. I said, I understand the love that this brings now. I said, my I've never felt my veins feel like they've got electricity running through them. Wow. That's the only, like, that's the first time. And because I, I and I said, I get this thing now that is acting as far as like how it, uh, it awakens something within your heart that yeah. is much bigger than you. I love that. Oh, I, I was, I drove home like in tears because I was just so moved by the whole experience and just being really open to Ian as well. Like it was one of my most favourite experiences and yeah, I can't wait to cross his path again. But the same goes with Cody being his student, even though we were all online for that. Yeah, yeah, that yeah, yeah. I made a little list of some of the things he taught me because they're my mantra. I read them. Tell me. Anytime before, yeah, get ready. <laughs> Connect to your body, be over-prepared, get control of your breath, don't be afraid of your power. Mm-hmm. Do the work. 99% of people don't do the work. I agree. And if you don't do the work, figure out why you're not. It's really good. Abandon the ordinary. Be fully prepared to go all the way. You need to look after yourself. That's your job. And he was referring to psychologically there. He was he's really passionate about and then he's written, he talked a lot about American dialect because you were doing American scenes in that, um, and we were as well, and he said, be on voice, watch American TV, listen to American podcast, make it a priority because he, he he called us out in our first class. He was like, guys, you're being a bit lazy. You're not on accent. And I remember I emailed you straight off that class and I said, can we learn southern accents? And straight away you organised a southern accent class for us and I just, I... There were a few. There was a real gang of us that was so inspired by Cody that we started up um, like a, a play reading. Yeah. yeah, there was a small little group of us, and I still play read with Stella. I think that's great. And so everything she's been putting up with you guys, we read together. I put on like the most random accents because you guys have been doing English plays. I'm quite sure. <laughs> I'm like, I'm so sorry, I haven't learned this dialect, but I'll give it a crack. And it's been so much fun to because I love script analysis. So. And that's one thing I learned as well from Ian, who's like, do you six reads? Do you Google read? And when when I say Google read, like understand what music was playing, where was it? Look at Google Maps of that southern plantation, you know, understand. In the play. In other words, a writer is writing at a particular time in a particular context and if we take those things out and we don't investigate those, we are not rooting a character in full circumstance. We're just not. Mm. At the moment with what's happening in our world and down the track when people look back at this time, 
where we went through a world pandemic, that has informed human beings in ways that are considerable. And if that is not explored, then you can't say I have really done the work to bring a human being to life because you've literally not explored or investigated what that might mean to that human being in life. Not to sound like a negative Nancy, but I've been reading alongside other actors because I'm in a different state. And I remember I walked into this taping and the teacher said I had um, a lot of notes, a lot of script analysis. I'd um, gone through my five points of story, which is a technique Ian teaches, but I'd gone through so much stuff that I'd learned through our Chubbit classes and so many different techniques that I've just learned along the way. But my script was highlighted, coloured, and, you know, beats, actions. If anyone listening, you really do really understand every single word that it, your character is saying. We really should. Yeah. And the, the other actor I was opposite had no notes and had just wrote learn, which is fine. And the teacher came up to me and he goes, whose script is this? And I was like, mine. And he goes, oh, I love it. <laughs> he goes, that's the acting school notes right there. <laughs> and he goes, can I have a peek? <laughs> And so for me, like, I couldn't walk into an audition or a self-tape not having done that. I think it's also you'd be doing a disservice to not only the character but the writer. And you yourself, know. fundamentally yeah. yourself. Yeah. And, and also, like, we talk about it, it's, it's about human connection. I know that's one of your passions. And I just think how lucky, like, what a privilege to be able to dive into this human's world right, the writers, the, the characters, and honour the human heart of that character. That's right. So give it your all, mate, because, yeah. you, you know, it's a privilege <laughs> to be doing it. And I just think yes. that's what gets, because, and this is my other question I wanted to ask you, like, I'm 35, I'm coming into this industry very late in the game. Mm-hmm. You know, you were a star at 19. Well, Before I had that, opportunity you, at young, at, I, I younger, did. I younger, weren't you? Like yes. 17. And, 17. And I just think, <clears throat> What would your advice, and I remember in when you got Deb to come and speak to us, someone asked the same question and said, oh, what, what is, am I too old? And she goes, oh, what a boring topic in the most beautiful way possible. What would your advice be to someone that's like, you know, I'm travelling to America and wanting to get into the industry at 35 and I I'd absolutely have a fear of being too old? What would your advice be? Well, Joseph Campbell who was one of the great thinkers of the 20th century, he said, follow your bliss. Mm. And I don't mean through an altered state. (laughs) (laughs) You can. (laughs) That that is a choice. Um, But follow your bliss. If you know what makes you happy, back yourself, give yourself every opportunity to live fully And all the stuff, am I too old? Am I too young? Am I too this? Am I too that? You might be for some people, Mm. but you may not be for others. But more importantly, you won't be for yourself. You will just be you living, Mm. literally sucking the marrow out of your life. Yeah. Just follow your bliss. Ah. And the rest will take care of itself and I believe you will be divinely led. You're giving me goosebumps, Kim. I'm looking at Kim getting a little teary-eyed right now. We're almost at the end, but I have to ask you this question. What does it take 
to become a great actor? I know you've covered so many elements of that in this chat, but if you could sum it up. A deep desire, first of all, and a lot of people say they want to be an actor, but they fold like a pack of cards Mm. after the slightest bit of failure or the slightest bit of rejection Mm. or when they don't get validated, that kind of timidity probably ain't going to help you towards greatness, but to be honest, in anything in life. So if you have that going on, really face that. And I would say therapy for that. You know what, there are so many pathways, Mm. but find one and address it now. I like what Susan Sarandon said. She said, if you're going to have a breakdown, have it young. (laughs) Do it sooner than later. (laughs) Totally, totally. Sooner than later. Why keep living a half-life? It only gets harder the older you get and you've only got less years now Mm. ahead of you. So start now. Face yourself. That's the first thing I would say. So the desire has to be very strong. That's the first thing. Don't listen to naysayers. Surround yourself with people who think big, Mm. who dream big. Don't, like I had a friend once who said, you know, if you've got relationship troubles, you don't go to someone for advice who can't do relationships well. (laughs) You wouldn't do that with tennis, so why would you with acting? Go to the best. Seek out the best. Seek out people who have qualities that you aspire to. Listen to those people. If you need validation from others, we all do. We're human. You need to lessen that. So if you look outside of yourself for validation, for approval, check it out. Mm. Because the degree that you do that, the degree to which you're giving away your own power to others and mm. living a disempowered life ain't fun. So that's something else I would suggest. You've got to do the work on that. Read voraciously. Don't look at other actors, how they play characters. Go into coffee shops and sit with your cup of lemon tea and observe Look at human behaviour. Get deeply curious about your own, about the connection between what you feel and what you do. Not just what you feel, but what that feeling makes you do behaviourally. Get really curious. Go to museums. Go to art galleries. Sit in beautiful parks and reflect. And practice, 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 practice in class when you get the job, between jobs, and keep being curious, develop love in your heart, compassion in your soul, and live a well-balanced life. You're amazing. Oh, I don't <laughs> know if I'm amazing. <laughs> yeah, but take I'm it, saying take things it. No, that I, love I think it. it's a well-balanced life and whether or not you end up on a red carpet or having a small independent theatre mm. company, you got a shot at living a life that could have satisfaction. And any Melburnians listening to this, because the highest audience are Melburnians of this pod, um, definitely check out 16th Street. 
yes, it, there's intake for the part-time course now. There's also a full-time course. You've got two going at the moment, but you do workshops. You bring in guest speakers. We That's do. how I got in. One of the things that 16 Street has been known for are bringing fantastic overseas artists to Australia and exposing yeah. Australian actors, emerging and experienced professionals to the world's best. Obviously, we're going through a pandemic, which pandemic but you which did doesn't so allow. much online. We did, so and we're going much. to continue that suite of programs throughout um, 2021, and we'll be actually taking that out and letting people know what they are very shortly. Perfect. I'll so we've got me those, <laughs> and we'll have a face-to-face further learning and in intensives and term classes. Mm-hmm. And we're starting something which I'm really excited about. It's the 16th Street Foundation, which is our charity to provide opportunities for actors through two programs. One, which is our wellbeing program and our liberal arts program, mm. giving actors real access to the classics mm. and skills like rhetoric and eloquence about how to enter the world with a sense of wisdom and courage and understanding that we come from something very noble. It's a noble profession and it's got a 2,500-year legacy behind it and we should be proud of being actors and the second one well-being we're teaching actors meditation yoga vedic breath practice mm. ayurvedic wisdom and exposing actors to that through our 16th street wellness community center which is available to all actors in victoria Oh, we've got to talk more about that because I don't know if you know this, but before our Saturday morning classes, I'd come in and teach yoga well, to I, our gang. That's marvellous. <laughs> that's marvellous. Yeah. Well, that's, there you go. And I think as well, um, coming from my world as wellness, so if you're not looking after your health uh, spiritually, emotionally, physically, you're probably not going to be giving the best version of yourself in an audition or you know, in a role and I think that, yeah, health and being the best that you can be and having a, being able to like really chase that bliss, you got to make your wellness a priority. And it's follow, not chase. I'm just going to say yeah, the word there no, if you don't mind. Do. But the other thing is more than anything, listen, there are a lot of actors. I spoke to Cody about this this morning, you know, who might be very dysfunctional in their lives but they can still be great. However, I'm sorry, on my deathbed, I don't want to go out saying, okay, I did something that may have been whatever, but I was an unhappy individual. That to me is not a life well lived. Mm -mm. I don't think one has to come at the cost of others. And when you're an actor, there are high levels of rejection. That ain't easy. When you're an actor, you have to go to places that most people wouldn't be remotely interested in exploring. (laughs) Truly, I'm sorry. You're a murderer. You're a murderess. Your husband's just left you. Your wife is being unfaithful. Who wants to actually delve into those areas Mm. in life? Nobody in their right mind would except actors. So in order to be able to do that, I think you do. You've got to have a balance in yourself. Speaking of the murderers, when um, I heard Cody do an interview where he talked about playing Michael Langdon, the Antichrist, and he said I couldn't dive in to just play the evil character. He said I had to find the human heart of the character. We all have to. It's the humanity. Yeah. And I think, you know, if you look at that, um, I think Silence of the Lambs is a very, very good example. Mm. That relationship, Mm. Anthony Hopkins sought to build a relationship with um, what was her Jody name? Jodie Foster was the, the was the name of the actress. Clarissa, yes, Clarissa, Clarissa. Well done. Yeah, and yeah, is yeah. it true Anthony Hopkins reads his scripts 
200 times? He says that 200 times. He says, I do nothing but read them 200 times. And in fact, I went to a drama school and Anthony Hopkins was trained by one of the principals of the drama school mm-hmm. I went to, Yat Mulgram, um, which is actually one of the online workshops we're doing, somebody who's a real master in that work, wow. which is about character transformation. Wow. But Anthony Hopkins also said something fantastic. He said, playing Hannibal Lecter gave him freedom from having to always be so nice. It gave him freedom from having to, just the freedom from needing to be liked. And that doesn't mean when that lessens you become a jerk. What it means is you become more authentic and so instead of nice, perhaps what you become is courteous or some kind of deeper level of those qualities that we admire in human beings as opposed to some middle-class idea of being nice. Oh, um, Do you know in Hannibal Lecter he chose not to blink? He, that was a character choice totally, he made. And totally. I was like, and this is the thing, people listening, that's how far actors will, like, they will go down to every, and one thing that, like, I learned coming here, like, down to the shoes that you choose to wear as that character. Yep. You know, even Maggie had on a hot tin roof. I knew what dress I was wearing. I knew what lip balm I was putting on because I knew they would make me feel a certain way. Well, I'd ask you now, if somebody was going to play you and chose to dress you in lycra and a boob tube, yeah. Do you think they would be anywhere near you? No. No. Exactly. So it's that. It's actually the attention to detail, mm. to honour, as Meryl Streep says, the willingness to honour a character as much as I am willing to honour my own life. Oh, perfect. Kim Courageous, you are wonderful, my friend, and I cannot wait until our paths cross again and I know it will be soon. Me as well, Lola, and I wish you the very, very best in your future endeavours and keep doing what you're doing, you. shining light where you shine it and being of benefit in the way you are. So much love to you, my darling, and it's been a pleasure. Much love, Kim. That's a wrap on another episode of Fearlessly Failing. As always, thank you to our guests. And let's continue the conversation on Instagram. I'm at Yummo Lola Berry. This potty, my word for podcast, is available on all streaming platforms. I'd love it if you could subscribe, rate and comment. And of course, spread the love. Mm-hmm.